You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, Dub Nation? He's Brady. I'm Jazz. We're recording this on a Wednesday in between the Warriors coming off a pretty big win against the Spurs. Only the fourth time in the last 45 games they got a win in San Antonio. That's an incredible stat. But the good news, the Dubs are sitting a game above 500, and they're now heading home to kick off a four-game homestand. Brady, I want to jump into this first. When we were looking at this little Texas swing that they had, obviously, I mean, Steph was lights out against Dallas, and, and you know, they almost had that, that comeback at the, uh, in, the, in the second half of the back-to-back. We saw the downside of the Warriors when they were playing their first game against the Spurs in terms of the inconsistency, uh, some bad decision-making. And then in that win on Tuesday, that third quarter, Man, I mean, they just, they dominated the, the Spurs through and through. They ended up outscoring them 36 to 20. Everything was clicking for them. So when I was watching this, like that game in particular, to me, it's the Warriors are starting to figure it out on the defensive end. They were terrible. I mean, remember to start the season, they were giving up 120 routinely, regardless of who the opponent was. And now you're looking at them. They're, they're ranked seventh in, in defensive rating. They've climbed up to there. I believe they are now second in opponent field goal percentage. Why do you think they were able to make that improvement so much compared to what we were seeing in uh, December and early January when, when the season kind of first got underway? I mean, I think the easiest answer here is just Draymond Green. Uh, they've just been so much better since since he's been in the fold. And I was looking at the numbers earlier today. They're, they're fourth in garbage time adjusted defensive rating since his second game. Um, which is when his minutes restriction was effectively lifted. So they went from, I think, you know, 27th in the first five games to now their fourth since then. So just bringing him back into the fold, you know, Steve Kerr keeps repeating that he's the best defensive player in the world. I don't think he's going to win defensive player of the year, but I agree with, with Kerr. I think he is the best defensive player in the world when he's locked in, when he's healthy because of his versatility on and off ball one through five. But, you know, People kind of expected, I think, that maybe things would be as good as they could get when he first came back into the fold. And you're forgetting that, well, he's rusty because the Warriors didn't play in the bubble. He hasn't played game a game in nine months or whatever. He's still trying to get into shape after having the coronavirus. And he's trying to figure out how to work with new teammates. So, you know, I think we're still a ways away from how good he can be individually which in turn means we're a ways away from how good they can be as a team. But to me, truthfully, I, I put 90% of the defensive improvement. Uh, I credit it to him because I think not so only then, is he so a then you're So player. then you're taking 40% of the offensive regression on him as well. Exactly. Because, totally. Yeah, okay. 100%. 100%. <laughs> you know, you take the good with the bad with Draymond. It's just, it's how it always goes. But, you know, he's the quarterback in addition to the star talent on defense. And so, like, look how good Andrew Wiggins has been defensively. And I don't mean to take that credit away from Wiggins. He deserves credit for that. Uh, but Draymond also deserves credit for that. I don't think we'd be seeing that Andrew Wiggins defensively if you don't have Draymond Green there coaching him, teaching him, yelling at him, so on and so forth. 
Well, it's it's interesting because I mean we see the good and the bad with Draymond and that you know the first loss against the Spurs, so the only loss in their in their two game set there. He had like 10 rebounds, 10 assists or whatever it was and like five points. You know what I mean? And we saw that that blunder at the end of the game where, yeah, he thought he might get fouled. So he just chucked it up and, and kind of didn't get Curry the ball for it with an opportunity to tie the game. And I think when we you're seeing that, I, that to me is, is rust. That's also, I think, confidence on the offensive end. Um, yes. Regardless of what he says, Draymond says all the right things. 90% of the time he does the right things on the court too, but you can tell with his, with his shooting, like when he's getting the ball, there's always a bit of hesitation. He's not, you know, and you notice that with NBA, with NBA players, especially the guys who can't like when, when Curry catches it and you can tell he's got his feet completely set, there's no hesitation. You're like, this is going in. You're sure he's going to miss from time to time, but you, he, he, you can tell he has the confidence. Um, the teammates have the confidence. Draymond's kind of shy. He's catching the ball at the top of the three, and it's always like a half second, like a, uh, and he's like, I almost, I have to take this, right? Because I'm kind of stuck in this. If I don't shoot this, they're not going to respect me, uh, but I might not have the full confidence that I'm going to hit this. Is there anything that you think that could be done in order for them to improve on that? And him, like, I mean, as a team, as a coaching, what do you think that Draymond needs to do? Or is there anything that can happen at this stage of his career that can make him again? And we talked about this on the previous episode is, He's shooting less than 30%. We want to see him shoot better than that. So how can he get up to around 30, which is still going to be below league average, but not sitting in the low 20s and, and high teens like he is now? Well, I think a large part of it is is aggression. Uh, you know, he's a much better offensive player when he's being aggressive, when he's getting the ball and, you know, gets a rebound or gets an outlet pass and just goes, boom, full speed down the court. And we saw that, you know, in kind of patches, throughout this this trip where he would go kind of full speed and he would go coast to coast. And a lot of times he would get a layup. And, you know, he's much better, obviously, finishing at the rim than out of the three-point line. Uh, and he drew some fouls there, got some layups, and obviously had some nice passes as, as we've grown accustomed to. Uh, but for me, he needs to be getting those kinds of looks because those are what give him some offensive rhythm, some offensive comfort, uh, so that then if he does have an open three, he's a little bit more in rhythm to take it because w when, when they're just playing kind of a, a stagnant half court offense and he just catches the three, the ball looks at the hoop from three point range and then finally shoots it. It's so bad every time it's so bad, <laughs> but you know, when he's like actually in rhythm, pushing the ball, then a, sometimes he ends up with just a rhythm shot. Uh, and I think that his percentages are likely a little bit better on those those ones so you know i liked seeing that he shot the ball more these last few games mm -hmm. uh, because in my opinion a lot of the shots were simply better shots and if you're taking better shots you're gonna start making more of them and when you start making more of them it feeds you a little bit so that you can start playing a little bit more normally yeah and he's doing a good job of like you were mentioning instead of just catching it at the top of the three-point line or if he has an opportunity to push the pace and, and attack the rim right away he's doing it now you know whereas opposed to just holding the ball and looking and or maybe looking for your next teammate he's like dude, if you guys ain't going to respect me from the top of the key, I'm just going to take it to the, the lane for an easy layup. And if the defense, you know, collapses, which they've done, he's able to find guys like Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, guys like Michael Mulder, Damian Lee in the corner for open shots. Uh, and, and that's one thing I want to get into with, with Oubre as well. I've noticed a big difference with him over the last couple of weeks. And again, we knew this was going to be a work in progress because he's joining a new team. They had all these new, new parts coming together. Obviously he didn't have Steph playing with the majority of the guys that were left over from last season. So we knew it was going to take some time for them to figure it out. And I'm watching Ubre, and there's a big difference with him. 
And the difference to me comes in with the fact that he's not just getting the ball and looking to attack right away, which sure you want your players doing at points, but in the Warriors offense, which is ball heavy, uh, share the ball, move the ball and cut. You want guys to be like, catch it and, and attack when the timing is right. And I think that's what Kelly Oubre is starting to do. And, and you're noticing that when he's hitting open jumpers from the corner, they're not coming off of him, catching it. There's a defender kind of closed out on him, but he's slowly waiting and then elevating to shoot. He's making sure my feet are set. If Steph's coming down the lane, if Wiggins is going down the lane, if Draymond's coming, I'm just going to stand here and be ready to shoot. So where do you think he has been better overall? And why do you think he's been able to be more of a consistent contributor on the offensive end? I think the answer to both of those questions is that he's he's started to just internalize what the Warriors need him to do. You know, Steve Kerr has repeated time and time again this year that the Warriors offense is so hard for new players because their best scorer is as dangerous without the ball in his hands as with it in his hands. And their best passer is Draymond Green, a, a power forward or a center, whatever you want to call him. Uh, and those are just things that you're not used to as a as an NBA player, that they're they're not traditional. And so the things that the Warriors need from Kelly Oubre Jr. is they they need him to be setting screens, which in fairness, he's still not doing well. Uh, they need him to be passing. They need him to be moving to the right spot. And they need him to just know when he should be catching the ball and looking to get it to Curry and when he should be catching the ball and attacking the hoop. And so I think if you look back at, at Oubre, you know, from a year ago when he's playing with the Phoenix Suns and he's playing next to Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, well, if you catch the ball and you're on Devin Booker's team, you're not looking necessarily to get the, the ball back to him because you're figuring he had his chance. He probably dribbled the ball for 12 seconds. He gave it to you. Now it's my chance. You pass the ball into DeAndre Ayton, you're expecting him to do a post move and score. You're not expecting him to be passing it back to you the way Draymond Green does. So it's just, it's so new to him, I think. And, and truthfully, I just think that he's starting to get comfortable with that. He's starting to internalize what his role should be. Just like we're starting to get a little bit more comfortable with each other on this podcast, right? Exactly. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that synergy. It takes some time. There you go. Collaborative warriors. This is what we're doing. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting too. You're mentioning the patience. And, and the one area with the warriors that I'm starting to maybe wear a little bit thin with my patience is the second unit. And I, you know, I, again, I don't want to pin this on Bob Myers because, uh, you know, the clay thing obviously threw everything out of whack in terms of what their plan was coming into the season. You know, you're hoping you're going to have your second best guy ready to go. And once he gets hurt, it's like, okay, what do we do? And like I've said this before, he did a great job in, in reacting to that, you know, and being like, I'm not going to throw this off. You got Kelly Oubre who obviously isn't clay Thompson, but he is, he is a, a good NBA player. And, and you're looking at this and, you know, in, in the game against the Spurs that they won, it was like Damian Lee scored 11 points in the first half. And when the Warriors are just getting that kind of contribution, it doesn't, and I know we put a lot of pressure on Eric Pascal, right? Where like, he's got to be, you know, he's got to be the, the consistent six man scorer. He's not Lou Williams. Nobody's going to mistake him for that. He's not going to come off the bench and score 16. If he did that, great. I actually think the Warriors, instead of being 13 and 12, might be, you know, closer to 16 and nine or something around there if they were getting consistent bench production. Because, you know, and there, there's moments where, I, you know, I'm watching every game. I'm like, Ooh, I'm cringing because I know the time's coming that six minutes where Steph is off the court to start the second and to start the fourth. And at those points, and I was worried about that in, in the game against the Spurs too, because it was like, these guys are up 18, 19. They're getting it down to 14, 13, 12. They ended up hitting enough buckets. Thank goodness, which got Dre and, and Steph some extra, extra minutes. But when you're looking at that second unit, like for me, it's what the Lakers used last season. And the Lakers had more established proven veteran talent on the roster when they won, but they didn't have a go-to guy coming off the bench. It was, we're just hoping one of these guys 
can come in and score eight, nine, 10 points that, you know, kind of keeps our lead where it is or keeps us, you know, maybe minus two or three points. Other than Pascal, who is one guy you think on the Warriors' second unit that has the potential to be that guy that maybe, again, not going to do it every night that he's going to score 15, but you're hoping that he can come in and score maybe eight or nine points a game? I think it's Damian Lee. Um, you know, he's done it, like you said, he did it against the Spurs. He's done it a few other times uh, this season. Uh, the consistency isn't there with him, and and I think that's a big issue. I don't know if if that is something that can be rectified at this point, um, but he's the guy who kind of has that ability where he's kind of a, a little bit of a barometer for the Warriors. When he plays well, the bench usually plays well. When he doesn't play well, the bench usually doesn't. Uh, and part of it is that he's a very good shooter, and he's very comfortable in the system, so he kind of, you know, plays the right way or the way that Steve Kerr wants him to play. And so, you know, when he's playing well, the offense looks good. And when he's not playing well, the offense, it gets very stagnant. Um, but he's not that high octane, octane player. And, and, you know, you mentioned Lou Williams. And it's hard not to think about how good the Warriors would look if they had a Lou Williams or a Montrez Harrell, some guy who is just coming off the bench and, you know, reliably is getting you 12 to 15 points, no matter who the opponent is. Uh, so I don't think they really have any one guy. I think they do need to piece it together. I think Pascal needs to needs to be the man on some nights and Damian Lee needs to be the man on some other nights and, and maybe Kent Bazemore or Michael Mulder or Jordan Poole when he returns or James Wiseman, you know, when he returns, you know, maybe he can become that guy. Um, but I don't really see any one player really filling that role, but I think Damian Lee is the closest that they've got. I love watching Damian Lee play. I love watching him play Me basketball. He's, 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 he's intense. He's, he's added. I love when he did that against Luca and he was talking smack to him and he's like, you know, bring it on. And you can tell when he's hitting threes, he's the guy you like playing with, you know what I mean? Because he's going to, he's going to say all the right things, do all the right things. Again, he's not a guy who's going to score 15 a game, but he might, he has the potential to get into double digits, you know, most nights. And if he, when he does that, he's on. So I'd love the energy that he brings. Um, one more talk topic about, uh, about this, that, uh, that I want to cover with you. When you're looking at this right now, and again, I, you know, we kicked off the show talking about this is at the beginning of the season, the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. I mean, let's just call it what it was. They were, they were terrible. They looked discombobulated. The rotations were slow. The closeouts were awful. They're starting to figure that out offensively since the defense has gotten better they haven't been as good offensively of course they're getting less less chances to score you gotta you gotta look at it that way because they're better defensively uh the game's slowing down a bit more they're playing at a slower pace than they were compared to the first three or four weeks of the season now you're looking at them starting to get things together defensively if they're able to do both on the and you talk you know you were a part of the media call with steve kerr after the win over the spurs and he said you know we played well at both ends of the floor so let's say the Warriors are able to consistently do this over the next 57 games and they're 13 and 12 right now. How many wins do you see them getting if they're able, again, if they're able to do both, not just not, you know, not just play offensively good one night and defensively good on the other. It's they're, they're doing this consistently. Where do you see them stacking up with the Western conference? That's a great question. I, th I think they can still slide into that four spot. Uh, maybe even the three spot with, with the way that, Denver has not been playing well. That would require Utah to, to fall off, I think. I think right now that top three of the LA teams in Utah, they've got that on lock. Um, and unless, unless something happens with Utah, because it's not going to happen with the Clippers or the Lakers, you know, <laughs> barring an injury, I, I think we can pencil in the Clippers and Lakers up there. Utah is kind of the only hope for some, something to fall off there. Um, but right now that fourth spot is, is wide open. Uh, and I think the Warriors, if if they can buy in, like you said, offense and defense. And I think, you know, 
as the defense continues to prove itself, I think it is going to snowball and lead to the offense performing a little bit better and, and them realizing that, hey, we can win any game with our defense, so now we just need to do the right things on offense. Uh, I, I anticipate that happening a little bit, and I don't see why they can't come for that four seed. I'm not predicting it uh, because they still need to, to show that they can do that. Uh, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm just taking your question as if they play offense and defense, both sides of the court, the way they did last night, the way they're capable of doing every night, uh, I absolutely think that that four seed can be theirs. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for them to go on a run like that. They know they haven't lost more than two in a row all season. They haven't won more than two in a row all season. They've just been, that's yeah, insane. it is. I mean, because they've been so up and down, right? And and that's the thing. It's like they look great. They look like world beaters. Like that second half against the Lakers where they won at Staples, it was, man, these guys could be really, really good. Again, I don't think anybody's going to mistake the Warriors for being a championship team by, by, by any, you know, rule of thumb right now, rule of law. You're looking at how they are. No, they just don't have the depth to stack up with the, with the Lakers and the Clippers, like you mentioned, but you're looking at, at them when they're able to turn it on. It's like, could they get to the playoffs and win around? Absolutely. But they got to be doing it on both ends of the floor. If not, they're going to be fighting in that play in range might be able to get into an eight seed and when we'll see them kind of, you know, end up, uh, you know, maybe losing and, and Steph has the capability of winning you two games on his own in the playoffs. So I, you know, again, against a team like the Lakers in a, in a seven game series, I, I don't see things going too well. Uh, no disrespect to Nikola Vucevic and uh, DJ Augustine and Aaron Gordon. Yes. The Warriors are playing. <laughs> they're playing the, the Orlando magic on Thursday back in uh, San Francisco, but the Saturday game, it's going to be the first time that Kevin Durant is taken on his former teammates, namely Dr- Draymond green and, and uh, Steph Curry. Um, what are you anticipating from this? And, 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 you know, do you think Durant's going to be extra motivated? Will we see some trash talk between him and Draymond Green? How do you think the first meeting for KD since he left the team will go against the dubs on Saturday? Yeah, well, I I think it's going to be really entertaining. Uh, It, it breaks my heart a little bit that there aren't going to be fans there. um, Cause you know, that just, they need that. It, it, you know, it was one thing on opening night when it's in Brooklyn, it's an entirely another thing now that they're, at Chase Center, where you would have Warriors fans cheering him and booing him, I'm sure. So honestly, that's kind of my first thought is just a little bit of poignancy that that there won't be fans there and to see that reaction, because you know it would be a very intense and, and kind of mixed reaction, uh, I think. But honestly, I'm just, I'm so excited to watch Durant and Draymond go at each other. I think that's just, you know, we haven't gotten to see that in many, many years, but uh, in my opinion, Kevin Durant is the most unguardable offensive player in the NBA, and Draymond Green is the most complete defensive player in the NBA. Um, they both play with so much fire and passion. Uh, they both play with these chips on their shoulders and these egos kind of on full display that, that they very clearly want to show their opponent that they are better than they are. Uh, and gosh, I just hope that that they get matched up all night long and that Durant (laughs) takes, you know, 30, 35 shots and that we just get to see those two just go at each other. Cause you know, they both have so much to prove. So, or they think they have so much to prove in reality, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. We, we know what each player is. Uh, but I'm sure they're 
going and thinking they've got something to prove. Well, we know both players are very good at what they do, both, you know, all-star level. Obviously, K- KD is an MVP level guy, but we also know that they're both quite sensitive too. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, they are. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. I'd love to see a good duo between, you know, Steph on, on the Warriors offensive end and then Draymond guarding KD on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to just to seeing how it is. And like you mentioned, I, I wish Dub Nation would be there because it would be loud, it would be intense, and it, it's a nationally televised game. So, you know, I think all eyes would have been on the Golden One Center, or pardon me, the Chase Center, uh, going into into that game. Now, I want to wrap up on this, though. When you're looking at the Kevin Durant, the three years that he spent with the Warriors, right? Um, Obviously, you got two championships back-to-back in in 2017, 2018. Ended up uh, coming up short against the Raptors. You know, he ended up tearing his Achilles, unfortunately, in in that series. And we lost Clay in in, in Game 6 in 2019 as well. How would the Warriors have done without KD? Because I've thought about this often, and... Back-to-back championships to me, I, I don't think that seemed likely. Not because they, they weren't good enough to win, you know, two or three in a row at that time. We, we saw how close they were in 2015-16 after the 73-win season. But when you look at how they're how they were kind of composed, and and you got you know Andre Iguodala getting older, and 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 Sean Livingston getting older, they were still playing at a, at a relatively high level for the you know for where they, what they were at. In, in terms of the 2018-19 playoffs, but where do you where do you think that they would have finished in, in those seasons if KD never signed with Golden State in that summer of uh, 2016? It's a great question, and there's so many kind of butterfly effect elements of it that I start thinking about as soon as as soon as I because like you said, I think about that all the time, uh, and and I think about well assuming they would have re-signed Harrison Barnes as the reports were that, that they were planning on re-signing him if Durant did not choose them. So what happens with him? Does he develop further? Does he kind of fall off after that horrific 2016 finals where he couldn't make a three to save his life? Uh, are they just worn out without having Durant to help carry them and having that national media storm from the 73 win season and the three and one? And does Clay still get injured? Uh, you know, in the 2019 finals, if maybe they didn't have as deep a runs the f- two years before and there aren't as many miles on his legs. So there are just so many fascinating questions. I think they would have won one championship uh, in that three-year span. I think, you know, I lean towards win one championship, lose in the finals once, lose short of the finals once. Um, I'm not sure what which years it would have played out. Um, but ultimately, you know, that team... That core won a championship for a reason. Uh, they won 73 wins and lost in a heartbreaking fashion that required a lot of things breaking I'm the right way. By, I'm still upset by that. Yeah, I Me thought, too. Yeah, yeah. Entirely upset. Situation. Fair play to Cleveland. They deserve to win. But like, if we're being honest, it took a lot of things breaking the right way in order for that to happen. And that's just how it happens yeah. in sports. But like, over that two-year span, the Warriors were clearly the best team in the NBA. Uh, and even though maybe some holes got exposed, even though they would have been a little bit worn out, I just think they had proven themselves as so good. Uh, and, you know, Draymond Green said it in his pitch to Kevin Durant. He said, we're going to win rings without you. We can win even more with you. So if you take that uh, appraisal as being fact, then the only logical conclusion is they would have won one. So that's where I'll stand. If, if we took everything we, we, we Draymond said with, with absolute certainty <laughs> and truth, then the, I, I think the, the entire uh, Golden State Warriors fan base would, would be in a lot of trouble. I love Draymond. I'm not, I'm not putting him down, but he is a fun world, team. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be a fun world. I mean, everything would be 100 miles a minute, which is, is not a bad thing, right? Um, it's Because it, for me, I look at it like that Houston team, 
maybe would have beat the, the Warriors without Kevin Durant once. You know what I mean? I mean, and they were right there with, with KD. And you look at the game six, game seven, you have you have back-to-back double-digit leads and, and fail to close it out. I mean, that that's on Houston. You know, that's not on that's not on anybody yeah. else. But I, I agree with you. I think they would have won at least one more championship. And again, and, and this is something I've, 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 I've been saying for years now, is the Warriors brass, like their front office, is awesome. You know, I, I completely trust Bob Myers. I completely trust uh, Steve Kerr's coaching ability. Uh, Joe Lacob has, has been wonderful as an owner. He, you know, hasn't been will you not been a penny pinching at all. Like whatever we got to do to win, let's go out there and do it. So even if they would have lost, let's just say in 2017 and came up short and you know got upset somehow in the second round, I don't. Again, I don't think that would have happened. Uh, you would you you would have seen them rebound and figure something out. So for me, yeah, I, I think they're gonna whatever they end up doing this offseason. And again, hoping uh, you know knock on wood that that Clay is is fine. I don't maybe he's not gonna be a 20 point a game guy anymore like he has been throughout his career. Maybe you're looking at him going you know 16 17 a game. And, and eventually getting better. And, and we've talked about this, that his game is predicated on, on hitting jumpers and, and being set screens for and, and, and kind of reading and reacting. So he's not a guy that we were looking at. He's going to be a, a lethal slasher. So I think he'll be okay. But I'm interested to see how, how Bob Myers and co kind of proceed with the summer. Because like I said, when you look back at those, at that, you know, run that the, the Warriors had for those five seasons, I mean, tough to, t- tough to top that and, and, and tough to look at them and say, well, without KD, they wouldn't have won anything else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's just too much talent. Steph Curry was arguably the best player in the league at the time. Draymond Green was pretty unquestionably the best defensive player. Steph and Clay were the two best shooters in the world. Uh, Kerr is a good coach. Bob Myers is a fantastic GM. They were, like you said, Joe Lacob was willing to do any and everything uh, to maximize the championship potential. So yeah, I, I, I think you know, you can never say for sure what, what would have happened because, you know, as 2016 and 2019 showed, you know, the, the ball is going to bounce the way it bounces. The, the cookie is going to crumble as it does. But um, I, I don't see any way that they wouldn't have been still a top dog, um, best team in the Western Conference in my eyes, probably best team in the NBA. Uh, and that doesn't always guarantee you a title. Uh, but I, I think they absolutely would have been in the mix all three years and that's all you can ask for that's like us we're, we're going to claim to be the best warriors podcast that there is out there we might not win without a, a doubt we might not win the title every single time but we do we do believe it that's all <laughs> but that we'll counts, still be right, the right? best yeah that's right that's all that counts jazz we know it <laughs> that's it well that's the paper the rings that's right it's all what you feel inside baby that's that's what the whole point of it is uh we'll wrap up there for this episode of the collaborative warriors podcast don't forget you can also catch us on itunes and spotify we got our audio set there and of course subscribe to our youtube page at Golden State of Mind 